We are going to keep teaching on the Ten Commandments this morning. we got a lot to get through. We're going to cover a lot of ground, all right? So everybody get ready. Hold on to something tight. It's going to be fast. Um, but if I can review for just a minute. Um, we began this series on the top ten, on the Ten Commandments, by saying a lot of people view this as a bunch of rules and regulations, right? And we don't do so well with being told what to do. In fact, how many of you ever how many of you have ever done something be, just because somebody told you not to do it? Let me see. Raise your hand. You did it just because they said don't. Look at all those bad people. Look at y'all. Man, I'm glad y'all are in church. We've all done that, right? And, and that's the wrong way to look at this. But I, I remember one time um, playing with the girls when they were little at Lake Bottom Park. And I remember this kid across the park was running towards Cherokee Avenue full force because he had kicked his ball across the road. And the whole time he's running, his dad is yelling, stop, stop. And we all just kind of stood there and kind of held our breath. And he was yelling at his kid, do not go out in the road. You know how the cars park on the street and you can't really see. And he's running straight for it. Um, and you've been in those situations where you're telling your children what to do and they could care less, right? And this child is just running full steam. And finally, the dad caught him right when he got to the track and, you know, held him close, brought him in. And, you know, and this little boy, once he grabbed him, what do you think the little boy's response was? Do you think the little boy looked at his dad and was like, thanks, dad. You always know the right thing for me. To, of course not. That's not how children react. Man, he pushed and pulled because he wanted his ball that had gone across the street, right? Well, sometimes when it comes to following God's will, and like, we react in the same way. We are very selfish and childish when we get down to it with the commands that God provides. And we buck against them a lot of times because sometimes we just don't understand why they're there. And honestly, we only care about following our own selfish desires, no matter what it costs. Two quick reasons, real quick. These aren't in your message notes. You can write these off on the side if you want to. Two quick reasons why it's important to follow our Heavenly Father's will and what He commands in Scripture. Number one is protection. Okay, if you just want to write this off to the side, if you want to go ahead and start taking some notes, for those of you that are online, you can open up those message notes or just grab a pen and paper. But one is protection. God tells us, God gives us these commands and these rules to follow, not just because he likes us following. He gives them to us because he knows what's best for us, right? They are for our good. Just like this father who knows that if this child runs out into the street, something bad could happen, right? It's the same thing for us. But the problem is, we think we know everything, don't we? Can I feel you in on a secret? You're not as smart as you think you are, okay? Do you know that? Turn to your neighbor and just to remind him, you're not, you're not as smart as you think you are, okay? Some of y'all are having a little too much enjoyment with that. But listen, we're not, we, we think we know everything, but we don't. God gives us these commands. Even though we, we don't understand them, we may not always agree with them, they are there for our protection. Number two... They are also there for our provision. Number one is protection. Number two is provision. His way is always a better way to live. And what we've been saying is that life is better when we follow God's word, right? When we understand what scripture teaches, when we try to live out being a disciple of Jesus Christ, that is, that is when life is lived to its fullest. Remember, we said that God sometimes says no to something not so good so that he can give his yes to something better, right? He knows what's better for us. So he gave us these commands for a reason. It's, it's protection, it's provision. 
So just for a minute, just think. Like if we lived in a world that actually followed all of these top ten that we've been working our way through. Like if we actually, in this world, if we only worshipped God, and we didn't worship these other things that distract us and take our attention away from him. Imagine a world in which we honored his name above all names. And nothing unholy came out of our mouths, right? Where we actually took a day, like we talked about last week, to rest. To rest in his presence and remember how good he... Just think about how much better life would be, right? You see... God knows what's best for us, and God knows what it's like to live in the kingdom, and he wants to give us a taste of that here and now. So he gives us his word, and he's like, if you do these things, you know, it's for your protection, it's for your provision, right? I want you to live into what I want so that life can be lived to its fullest. So with that in mind, what we're going to do is we're going to keep going in these commandments, and we're going to run kind of quickly today. We're going to tackle three commandments, and I'm going to kind of link them all together here a little bit. But we're going to start off with a very short one, and we're going to start with murder. <laughs> okay, lucky you. <laughs> Welcome to the Ridge, if this is your first time, okay? Let's read it. It's very short. It's actually only four words. It goes like this. Exodus 20, 13, it says, you must not murder. Okay, very simply put. And I know what you're thinking, we can probably just skip this one because chances are we really don't have that urge to murder very often. <laughs> Except when the light is green and the guy in front of you won't go because he's looking at your phone. Then maybe, then maybe, right? Maybe that's just me. Even though it seems pretty straightforward, um, if I can be honest, there's been a lot of debate about this commandment. And a lot of people use this commandment when they speak to a couple of issues. And I, I want to talk about these briefly for a second. And then we'll hit these topics kind of briefly. And then I want to bring it back and I want to give, give you something practical that we can all agree on, that we can all live out. Okay. And when I share these um, hot topics with you, I want you to understand that we are one big happy family here at the Ridge. And you know what? You, you may not agree with my interpretation on everything, and that's okay. We are a happy family here. We may not agree on everything, but we all are called to agree on this one thing, that we have to love Jesus and we have to love each other. And I hope you know that when I speak on these topics, I hope you can hear the love that I have for you. So... Are y'all ready to get into, with that kind of an intro, are y'all ready to get into some deep stuff? Uh, everybody do this with me. Let's, let's just take a moment and let's just all relax and let's breathe. Let's all take a deep breath in. You ready? Everybody breathe in and breathe out. Now turn to your neighbor and tell them, just relax a little bit. Go ahead, tell your neighbor to relax a little bit. Take, you know, it's okay. All right, now, now do me a favor, reach out in front of you, grab the shoulders of the person in front, give them a nice massage. No, I'm just teasing, I'm teasing. Don't, don't do that. We don't need any lawsuits here at the Ridge. Let's... I'm going to handle each one of these topics with great care and concern. Number one, when it comes to this commandment, I don't believe that this commandment prevents us from going to war. People will use this sometimes. Ecclesiastes 3.8 says that there is a time for war. And I believe that there are things that are worth fighting for. It's right to preserve freedom. It's right 
to fight in order to defend the innocent people. It's right to fight in order to stop the spread of evil in all its ways. It's right to fight to protect my family, and I will. You see, I think there's a big difference here when it comes to this commandment in killing and murder. There are different views on this, but when you, when you translate the Hebrew, the Hebrew for this translates as murder. And it literally means intentional, premeditated, and deliberate. And this is very different. So with that being said, of course, I fully support our military and the fact that we as Americans are a force for good and freedom in the world that's just being ripped apart by evil. John says this, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. The second thing is that I do believe that suicide breaks the heart of God. Many people will bring up this commandment when they speak about someone taking their own life. Listen, um, Scripture says that we are not our own, right? We've been created by God. We are bought with a price. Jesus gave his life for us. Jesus went to the cross for you because he cares about you and he cares about your future. In fact, the Bible says this in Job. It says, God, you have decided the length of our life. You know, that verse teaches me, and what Scripture teaches me is that, is that God has a plan, and he has a purpose for every person in here. But he's also given us free will, right? We get to decide whether or not we live into that plan that God has for us. One of the main struggles, of course, when dealing with this topic is depression. And if you're struggling with that now, I want you to know that there is hope, right? You matter to God. God made you for a purpose. He cares for you. He loves you. Please come and see me. Talk with me. We have a way to help with counseling for depression. You know, when it comes to the despair that we feel in life, sometimes I feel like life is like a beach. And when you go out to the beach and you sit there and you watch the tide go out, sometimes when the tide goes out, it it leaves a lot of mess behind, like driftwood and dead horseshoe crabs and, you know, trash that people have thrown out, right? But what I've learned in life is that when the tide goes out, the tide always comes back in. And I say that because it may feel like the tide is out in your life right now and despair is looming And it may not look so good, but hang on because the tide will come back. Scripture says God is good, and he promises to work for good to those who trust in him. You matter to God. Now, if I can be really honest, the topic, this topic, um, when it's used with this commandment, always comes up with me as a preacher for someone that has committed suicide. And they want to know, like, where's my family member? Well, listen, let me just say this. We cannot judge anyone's eternal fate. Okay, I don't want to be in that position, and neither do you. But, and also, I don't ever want to limit the amount of grace and forgiveness that comes from our Heavenly Father for everyone that covers anything. Thank goodness for the love and grace that He gives to us all. The third topic is this, I believe that God's heart is broken when it comes to abortion. And people will use this commandment when speaking of this topic as well. Let me read this. The psalmist in Psalm 139 says this, As you made all the delicate inner parts of my body, you knit me together in my mother's womb, and you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. 
As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book, and every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And what David is doing here in this psalm is acknowledging the fact that God created in the womb, right? The life began with conception, that God knows us and he creates us. He, he knows us before we're born. He has a plan for our life, even before we are living out that plan, you see, I believe that all life is precious, that there is no unwanted child. So going along with this, another very important question that I always get as a pastor is, what if I've had, what if I've had an abortion? And the good news is, is that we serve a God of life, right? I'm truly sorry that you've had to go through that experience, and my heart breaks for you. But we believe in something called prevenient grace, in the Methodist Church, and prevenient grace is the grace that goes before us. And prevenient grace turns into saving grace for those that can't make their own judgment about God. So God, God loves that child, and that child is in his presence. And again, I believe that God's forgiveness and grace is offered to everyone and will cover everyone. The good news is, you know what, when it comes to this life, we're, we're all trying to make it through life together, and none of us are perfect we don't get it right, and yet God loves us, and he saves us, and he uses us. And the Bible is full of stories of redemption and forgiveness. And I know that this is such a delicate subject, especially when it comes to the arguments concerning trauma and whether or not the mother's life is in jeopardy. And all of those issues are very difficult to talk about. We can't unpack all of that now, but I do hope that you hear my heart and that you know how much I love you, but more so, more so, more so that you know how much God loves you and you know God's grace and God's love and his forgiveness. And now that I've talked about all of those topics um, with you, those, those are all things people use when they talk about this commandment. Let me give you one thing to consider, lest you think that you still don't have to worry about this commandment because none of this applies to you. Let me share what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5 because this is something in Matthew chapter 5, that impacts everybody in this room, okay? And he expounds on it, and he gives us all something to think about in Matthew chapter 5. He says this, Jesus says, You have heard your ancestors were told, You must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Now, here's where Jesus goes. He takes this a step further. He says, But I say, if you are even angry with someone, focus on that for a minute. If you are angry with someone... You're subject to judgment. So here what Jesus is saying is that this whole topic when it comes to this commandment it has to do with our heart, right? It's just like what we were saying last week when it comes to the words that we use, right? The, the words that we use, the problem isn't our mouth. The problem is our heart and whether or not our heart is bringing honor to God. It's the same thing here. Right? It's not just about committing anger, but uh, I mean committing murder, but what are we allowing? What, what kind of feelings are we allowing to penetrate and stay within our hearts? And let's be honest, this teaching, when Jesus does this here in Matthew 5, it changes everything. Suddenly, this affects all of us because we've all been angry. 
with someone, right? We, we've all had those moments of feeling where it borders on hatred or it is hatred or we've said terrible things about other people. We're not really loving our neighbor like we should. How many times have we looked at someone and we thought to ourselves they're worthless because of who they are, because of what they did, because of what they said? Do you know in the Old Testament when after the flood, after God had created and he was Creating, you know, anew in the world. He, he talks about murder, and he, he talks to Noah's family, and he lays out why there shouldn't be murder. Look at this in Job, or, or no, in Genesis, it says this, God made human beings in his own image. You can go back and read this in Genesis 6, when God is talking about this and taking someone else's life. He's like, listen, listen, when it comes to human beings, they are made in the image of God. And this is so key for us. When it comes to the feelings that we have for somebody else, when you look at those people around you, do you see someone? Like, do you see them as the image of God? That, that person that maybe you have strong feelings against, that maybe you harbor hate for right now, could it be that your attitude might change, that things might be different? When you begin to realize this, God, this guy was created by God and God loves them just as much, just as much as God loves me. And maybe that person said terrible things about you. And maybe, maybe that person was ugly to your child. You know, and maybe you don't want to look at them right now. Or maybe they got the promotion and you didn't, right? What if, what if when we looked at our neighbor, and I use neighbor very loosely here, for everyone around us. What if we began to see the image of God in everyone? And that we love them because they're a child of God. Life would be better. If we learn to live into this commandment and we learn to love and not hate. Again, this goes back and what Jesus is trying to show us is that life is better when we follow these commands, when we follow these rules, when we follow his word. Hate, those feelings that we have inside of us, they can corrupt us. And they corrupt the image of God. But if you love, if you love others, love thy neighbor, it changes everything. Life is better. Okay, so we made it through murder. Turn to your neighbor and say, good job, you handled that like a champ. Go ahead, give them a, give them a high five, shake their hand. Okay, we made it through that one. Now, let's talk about adultery. I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing, we'll save that one, we'll save that one. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about uh, the next one. We're going to jump through two more commandments. And again, we're going to use these. We're going to blend them all together when it comes to loving your neighbor. So let's look at um, chapter 20, verses 16 through 17. Here's the next two. It says, do not tell a lie about your neighbor and do not have a desire for your neighbor's house. So don't tell a lie about your neighbor. Do not lie. And don't covet. What your neighbor has. Now, I think it's interesting that God uses both of these commandments, and the focal point of these is this word neighbor, okay? Your neighbor and your neighbor's home, okay? Don't lie about your neighbor, don't covet your neighbor. Now, why would we lie 
about our neighbor. And I think there's a lot of reasons why. And again, use that word loosely. I'm not just talking about the person that lives next to you. I'm talking about the person that you work with. I'm talking about the person that you go to school with. I'm talking about the people around you, right? Why would we lie against our friend or neighbor? Let me focus on one reason that will link these two together. I think one of the reasons that we lie about our neighbor is to make ourselves look better. To make ourselves feel better about who we are. Right? We'll, we'll say something that's not true about our neighbor, right? Just to, just to kind of build our life or to highlight something in my life, right? Or we'll degrade them in order to upgrade us, right? And the reason we do that is because we think they look too good. We, we covet what they have. We're envious of them. So we lie. The, the big question when it comes to this, the big question when it comes to building ourselves up, self-righteousness, and coveting others, here's the question I want to focus on. What do you do when the other person gets the blessing? What do you do, how do you handle it when you feel like somebody else received the blessing that you feel like you deserve? What do we do with that? Let me take you to a story in Genesis uh, 4. A very well-known story, Cain and Abel. Some of y'all remember this story growing up in Sunday school. Let me set this up. Cain and Abel are sons of Adam and Eve. And Cain was a farmer. And he did an excellent job with his crops. And Abel was a shepherd and took care of the animals. And on a side note, I bet these brothers had some amazing cookouts. Abel brought all the meat. Cain brought all the sides. And I would go to that party until Cain got upset. Then I would leave. <laughs> but... When it came time to give an offering, and you may remember this story, Abel brought his offering and he laid it before God, and Cain did the same thing. And let's, let's, let's read about this. This is where things got interesting. Verse 4, it says, The Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering, but he wasn't pleased with Cain and his offering. So Cain became very angry, and his face was sad. And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? Why are you looking so sad? Do what is right, then you will be accepted. And if you don't do what is right, sin is waiting at the door to grab you. Let's acknowledge the, the, the big question people always ask when they read this story is why did God accept one offering and not the other? Why? We're not going to answer that right now. Turn to Hebrews 11 later on today and you can read that for yourself. But today, the question that I really want to answer is what do you do when someone else receives the blessing? How do you handle it, right? Because Cain did not handle this well, and God warns him, listen, Cain, if you don't get a hold of these feelings, if you don't get a hold, we go back to that other commandment, to the hatred that you have in your heart right now, what's happening is that sin is waiting, and it's going to take you over. Right? And God might be saying that to some of us today. Right? Some of us are going through a hard time right now because we're not handling the thought that someone else has received the blessing that I feel like I deserve. And so what we do is we lie to make ourselves look better and we covet and we're envious 
right? Well, what happens when, when we're the ones that show up for work on time and we do the better job, but we get passed over for the promotion and somebody else gets the reward that we think that we deserve? Or what about in school? You think your child deserves a bigger role or more acknowledgement, but some other child receives it and your child doesn't. What, what about when it comes to the family? And family and our family is so difficult and we work so hard at it. And yet when I go on social media and I look at their family, their family looks so easy and so put together. Why can't that be me? Or what, what about when you try to conceive a child and and other people are on their second and third child, and you're like, what about me? Like, what do you do? Like, how does that impact you when you're looking around and you feel like they are receiving the blessings that you deserve? Like, do you worry? Do you feel like the world is against you? Do you feel like God doesn't love you as much? Do you fear that God isn't as good as God says that he is? You see, if you go home and you finish reading this, story, you'll find that Cain could not take it. And sin came crashing down in this story. And the same can be true for us. Now, we're not going to go as far as Cain did, right? But still, sin can take us over nonetheless. And so we begin to lie because we covet. So what can we do to come against this? Like, how do we fight against this, right? I I think that, that there's we got to have an understanding there's more to life than just accumulating more stuff or more accolades. Because we sometimes feel that these things in life, the things that we see from other people, the things that other people have or that what they've done, you know, these are the things that define our lives. And so maybe instead of looking for all these worldly things to define who we are, maybe we should look to God's kingdom, right? Living into God's will. Let him define who we are, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we are given grace, that we are a child of God. We're more blessed, Scripture teaches us, when we live into God's will and we learn to be content. We learn to be content. How can we learn contentment and focus more on what it means to live in God's kingdom and follow his will? Let me give you a couple of things, and, here's, and we'll move through these really quick. Number one, to find contentment, resist comparing. Resist comparing. When we compare, all it does is leads towards coveting, and this has nothing to do with God's will, Right? 2 Corinthians 10 says their trouble is that they only compare themselves with each other. And then he says, what stupidity this is. This isn't smart that we do this. Why do we compare so much? I think we do it because we're insecure. We're always looking around at other people thinking that net worth is the same as self-worth. And that's not how it is. We've got to resist comparing. It only leads to distraction and dissatisfaction. Stay off social media if you have to. Number two, rejoice in what you have. Rejoice in what you have, right? Appreciate what God has provided. Be grateful. Uh, Open your eyes and and see and be reminded, like we talked about last week when it comes to a Sabbath, right? Be reminded of who God is and how much he's done. Ecclesiastes says it this way, if God gives us wealth and property and lets us enjoy them, we should be grateful and enjoy what we have worked for. It is a gift from God. We should be grateful and enjoy what we've worked for, what God has given us. It's a gift. Now, let me ask you a question. When it comes to this, what are you waiting to happen until you rejoice? 
Like some of us right now, we're waiting for something. We got this when and then type of thinking, right? Like when this happens, then I'll be happy. When this happens or when I get this or when I go here or when we finally do this, then I know that's the happiness that I'll be looking for. That type of thinking never works, okay? Because you're as happy as you choose to be. It's your choice. We need to forget this whole when and then type of thinking. We need to rejoice in what God has provided for us right now. Number three, the third thing we got to do is we got to learn to release what we have. We got to release what we have. Listen, God doesn't bless you just to let you keep it for yourselves, right? You are blessed to be a blessing with the gifts that he has provided. This is what it means to live in the kingdom of God. First Timothy says, always be ready to share with others whatever God has given to them. Right, Whatever God has given to you, be ready to share with those in your life. You see, think about this in your family. Those of you that have children and you see your child share with somebody else, and you don't have to tell them to do it. What does that do for your heart? It melts your heart, doesn't it? It makes you want to give more when you see them being a blessing to other people. It's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. Number four, we got to refocus on what's really important. We got to give our attention to eternal priorities. Second Corinthians puts it this way: things that are seen don't last forever, the things of this world, but things that are not seen are eternal. That's why we keep our minds on the things that cannot be seen. That's why everything else that we think is so important in life just fades away. Everything is temporary. But the things that last forever is your relationship. You know, your relationship to God, your relationship to others, right? That's what truly lasts. So let's close this out. The worst part of comparing ourselves and coveting is that we focus on these material things in life. And when we do, when we focus too much on this world, we're not focused on the kingdom. It clouds our vision, it clouds our judgment with God. We actually begin to think that all that there is to life is just all this stuff, and that's not true, and that's why we're so disappointed. That's why we want to lie and build ourselves up. That's why we covet other people and what they have, and that's why we harbor those feelings sometimes. And we're not loving our neighbor as we should. So, let's go back to the big question. How do you react when somebody else has the blessing? Can you resist comparing? Can you rejoice in what you have? Can you just take a moment and get rid of those negative feelings and refocus on what's really important? And then taking that back to the other commandment, like we said, can you watch your heart and what you allow in? Because when you allow the wrong things in, man, it's just like that verse says, sin is waiting. Can you love thy neighbor? Because your neighbor is pretty important to God. What if, what if, what if all these, what if all these commands, everything we've talked about this morning, what if it really just is that easy and it comes down to two things, love God and love others. If you're willing to love your neighbor, life is always better. Let's pray together, God. As we walk out of here today, I pray that you would soften our hearts and that you would help us see the value in others. 
And not just our neighbor across the street, but those in our news feed, those across town. When, when we see that person at work that gets on our nerves, God, or when we come across somebody that has a different background than us, when we see someone that, that we think that they just have it so much better than we do, God, help us with those feelings that we have. Help us when, when we have that desire to lie and build ourselves up or, or to covet what they have that we think that we need. God, help us to see everyone the way that you see them. May we love them as you love us. And God, I just pray for everyone this morning that might be feeling a little different, maybe because of the topics we've covered. God, where there's brokenness, I pray for healing. Where there's heartache, I pray for peace. Where there's anger, God, I pray for your love. Where there's despair, I pray for hope. And God, I pray where there is condemnation, God, I pray for forgiveness. God, would you just be with us today and always as we leave from here. Help us to be and live as true believers that have been changed by the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.